Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Jesus lived and taught with great intentionality. He didn't do everything, but instead, when he lived his life, he lived doing the will of the Father. He said over and over, he made it a point to remind people that he was only doing what the Father instructed him to do. Of all the things that he could have made primary in this life, he chose the will of the Father. I begin with this because we sometimes have a tendency to suggest that it was what he needed to do. He didn't have any other options. But the truth is, Jesus had a lot of options. He was a skilled craftsman. Uh, he was a young man, physically capable of doing other things, vocationally, and he was influential. And so he could have taken the group of disciples. Clearly, he taught and led in a way that drew crowds and others. So there was a lot of choices that Jesus could have made in the course of his life. But in the end, he didn't choose his way. He didn't choose things that glorified himself, but things that pointed others to the Father. When we really take time to read the Gospels and we look at his life, we realize that it was not just in his life that he demonstrated this, but it was in his teaching he reinforced this. That's why he spoke it over and over. He spoke it and he taught it. And when he taught it, it wasn't just proverbial wisdom. It wasn't just little sayings that could be put into a nice little booklet and given as a graduation gift. He actually taught in a way that uh, influenced people's thinking, specifically his disciples, in a way that challenged them to think about their own lives and what choices they were making and what they were making priority. In the same way, it does that for us now. It has done that from generation to generation in every culture. It has challenged people for thousands of years to think about their own life and what it is that they choose. Because he said, I choose the will of the Father. And he pressed on that to emphasize what is it that you and I are going to choose. Well, it goes much deeper than just the knowledge of his teaching. Yes, he taught about the will of the Father, but in the calling of the disciples to follow him, he invited them to participate in the experience of applying his teachings. So he said, I'm going to do these things that show you what the kingdom is like. I'm going to teach them to you, but I'm also going to invite you or call you to my side to apprentice with me so that I can teach you not only these, these ideas, but I can teach you by demonstration and allow you to practice them as well. Jesus really gave skin and bone to what it was that he was saying to the disciples. There was not room for his disciples to sit back and fold their arms and evaluate his ministry or to sit back and instruct others about how they needed to do it because Jesus continually had them at work doing it themselves. This really is a bit of a challenge for us in our modern culture the church, as we often define it or see it in the, the churches around us, tend to be more of a viewing experience. Sit back in your chair, fold your arms, and watch the activities that go on around the church. 
And this is really in contrast to what Jesus led the disciples to do. In fact, with the religious leaders of his time, he pointed to them and he identified those as men who knew scripture. They deeply knew the Old Testament and the scriptures. They had learned it really well mentally, but not for the purpose of application. They had learned it for the purpose of measuring other people's lives against it. And in this way, they had become hypocrites. They had become those who were gatekeepers, always telling others what they needed to do, where they fell short, how they needed to improve in their lives in order to please God. And Jesus continually pointed out that is not his way. It's not the way of the Father, not the way of the kingdom, and that his disciples were going to do it differently. Jesus lived with his life as both a demonstration of the kingdom and as an invitation to participate in the kingdom. Those two things together are critically important for us to understand. He wasn't just saying, watch me, though he did invite them to watch and follow him. He also didn't just tell them to go in the community and start doing good deeds and do stuff, although he did tell them to go and do. Instead, he did both. He said, watch me as I show you what the kingdom is like and what the Father is having me do, and then I want you to go and do in the like manner. This is important for us to, again, understand because it's the pairing of these two things, of both understanding his teaching and applying it and doing it that fully embraces the way of the kingdom. I'm going to spend this next uh, few messages over the next month talking about this idea of life together. What does it mean for us to, as followers of Jesus, live life together? And it's not a coincidence that at New Horizons we're also launching a small group initiative that draws us into greater community with one another. These two things go together, both understanding the teachings of Jesus and living out practically by discipling together, how do we put into practice the teachings of Jesus? It's really the very expression of living as part of God's kingdom is being a disciple. Jesus and his instructions to what his followers were supposed to do when he was gone, he said, go and make disciples. It was a, a critical part to uh, him giving instruction before he ascended to heaven. And in fact, it is something that is widely shared throughout churches all over the world. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. And so this is a familiar uh, passage, familiar words within the church and those who know Christ. But when he said that, there was no mistaking what he meant. The disciples wouldn't in that moment be confused. Oh, we need to create Bible schools so that everybody can just learn what it is that he told us. Or we need to create a lot of books because he needs to be able to, we need this instruction to go out. Now it is true that there are schools of training which are not a bad thing necessarily. There are a lot of books about Jesus's teachings, again, which aren't necessarily a bad thing. But what he instructed them to do in making disciples was both together. Teach them what I have taught you 
and teach them not only mentally, but teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's the doing part. So we're going to focus on this, what it's like when we're doing life together. And it's this understanding that it's both the teaching and the doing. It's the listening and obeying married together that helps us form in our discipleship. Well, let's pray and we'll turn to today's scripture and understand what it is that he's asking us both to understand and to do. Lord, thank you for your word. We invite you, Holy Spirit, now to lead our time together and empower us to understand it and also empower us to do it. Uh, we don't want to be passive. We don't want to be just uh, those who acquire knowledge of the kingdom, but we want to be those who both understand it and put it into practice. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, earlier this year in uh, 2021, I took some time to uh, talk about our vision at New Horizons of who we see ourselves becoming. And in that message, I outlined this picture of who we're becoming. We are people deeply connected to Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, living as an expression of God's love to the world. The primary passages that I spoke from in, in uh, giving this picture, they were drawn from John chapters 13 through 17, and this is where Jesus is speaking to the disciples just prior to his crucifixion. In this larger portion, uh, he says at two different times that it is the quality of their love that is going to make the most significant impact on their discipleship with one another and also their influence in the world itself. Let me read the first one. It's in John 13, verses 33 to 35. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A little while later during that same uh, expanse of scriptures, John 13 through 17, we come across in chapter 15, the same idea. He backs it, backs it up again. And that is critically important for us to understand, right? When we talk at New Horizons about scripture and repetition of a teaching or a word or a, an idea, this is something that is being driven home powerfully. We're, we're supposed to really grasp it. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And it's especially important knowing that these are some of his final words to his disciples. So he picks up this idea again. John 15, verses 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Did you catch that once again? 
the listening and the doing. He's saying, listen, everything that I've heard from the Father, I've passed along to you, the listening, and now we're doing it. You need to hear this, but you also need to do it. You need to both understand the importance of love, but you also need to act on it. What is it that he acts asks them to obey? What is it that he's focused on? It's a new commandment. And I don't know that that rattles you or quickens you as much as maybe it should or as much as it should stir in my heart. A new commandment. This is Jesus, a rabbi, telling his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment. Uh, This is something significant when you think about, well, You you can't add to the word. You can't add to what God has commanded is to be done. And yet Jesus says, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm giving you a new commandment, one that I'm telling you, you need to obey. And in obeying it, you prove yourself to be my disciples. We, many of us know the, the 10 commandments. There's a number of commandments given and instructions in the Old Testament and for, um, the Mosaic law and what it is that the Jews were supposed to follow. And many of us today, again, as I said, are familiar with, at least in part, with the Ten Commandments. But here's Jesus saying, I'm adding this new commandment. In other words, this is a critical piece to the kingdom of God. This is essential knowledge for you to both know and put into practice. So here's a couple things I want to highlight about this simple idea that Jesus, simple but profound idea that Jesus brings to light is this new commandment of loving one another. First is that love expresses itself in laying down one's life for others. It's a laying down of your own life for others. And Jesus pointed to this in John 15 when he says this, I want you to love as I have loved you. So he's pointing to the way in which Jesus has interacted with them. And over and over, he shows himself to be the servant, the servant of all. He shows himself to lay down his own preferences. He shows that he's laying down his own rights. He's showing that he's laying down uh, his, his own claims for recognition and glory so that he can serve and love others. He gives them this instruction in John 15. He says, greater love, uh, John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, obviously that points to what Jesus is going to do and lay down his life for them, but all of mankind included, uh, both then at that point, but even now that he lays down his life and he expresses this to the disciples and says, this is the type of love I'm talking about. It's not just a, a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's, it's not just a, a simple act of kindness that is easy to do and then move on. It's not dropping a dollar in the poor man's cup uh, and, and so that he can have a little extra change for whatever he's struggling with. Jesus is saying, this is not easy. This type of love that he's calling his disciples to, the type of love he's calling you and I to, is not an easy, uh, just off the, uh, whatever's in your pocket, you can give it type of love. He's saying this is the type of love that costs you something significant. In fact, it costs you your life. 
It's the laying down of your life on behalf of others. Love that expresses itself in laying down your own life for others. It's choosing other people over yourself. This is the kind of love that puts others first. Remember, Jesus is not saying this is the type of love he shows to the Father, though he does choose the Father's will over his own. That's understandable. We get that kind of love. He says, this isn't just my religious devotion to God. He says, this is the type of love that I've demonstrated to you, people who have failed me, disciples who have let me down, the ones who have misunderstood me at times. Jesus says, this is the type of love I've laid down my life for you. There's a quality of love there that I desperately want you to understand and hear. It is not convenient for you. It is not convenient for me to follow Jesus and love people the way that he calls us to love them. In fact, it is terribly inconvenient and it is painful and it is exasperating at times and it is long suffering and it costs you something. It costs you your life. In fact, you're laying it down regularly for other people. That quality of love, Jesus says, that's the commandment I'm giving to you, is to love others, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, those in the church in such a way that you demonstrate this type of sacrificial love. Do you know he goes beyond that though? He says not just those in the church. He's not just saying love others in that way within your circle of church friends or relationships. He says, this is the type of love that I'm giving to the world. No greater love has anyone than this, that they laid down their life. For their friends, yes, but Jesus takes it the step farther and says, and anyone. He says, I call you friends and I'm giving my life for you. So that's one aspect. This type of love that Jesus calls us to, he commands us to, is a challenging love. It costs us our life. It costs us. It can be painful at times. Secondly, this is love that pushes Jesus's followers outside of their comfortable circles of relationship and into the new family of God. So this idea really kind of piggybacks on what I was just talking about, but I want to take it a stretch further, is that most people that you and I encounter understand love within our immediate circles. Loving a family member or even distant relatives, showing love for them, they're in your circle. Loving some of your best friends that are close to you and you enjoy, you have similar hobbies, you enjoy spending time together, you watch movies together. Listen, most everybody understands that type of love. That's not a stretch to understand that type of love, that this is my circle. And if you're in the circle of trust, then you get to receive that, that type, of, that type of, of love that exists within that circle. Jesus says, listen, I'm gonna push you outside of your circles and your circle is gonna be much larger than you've ever experienced before. This is difficult. This is definitely difficult. It's not going to be something that you and I can do and loving people outside of our normal circles sacrificially. It's not something we're going to be able to do on our own. It actually requires supernatural empowerment. It requires the love of God in order to love people the way that God wants to love them.
So people understand if you're loving within your circle. That's not supernatural. That's very natural. An affinity or affection towards people that you share life with because you want to, because you're willing to, because it's convenient. You have time together. But what people don't understand, what people are transformed by, is why you or I, as followers of Jesus, would pursue the way of love with people whom you're just in the same room with, people whom you go to church with. In fact, so many people can't comprehend this because who goes through the effort to reconcile with somebody that they could just as well just live without? Who chooses to overcome conflict and, or demonstrate uh, sacrificial love with somebody who they just met two months ago? That, no, that's the type of love that people, apart from Christ, you say, that type of committed expression of love, that's reserved for a very special few that you close the door on everybody else and you close ranks and you say, that's the type of love just for my family. But in Jesus and in his family and what he calls us to, he says, listen, when you run into a conflict, pursue resolution with them because you have to have them in your life because you share so much in, in movies or because you do all these hobbies together. Nope, not for any of those reasons, but instead because they're my son or daughter, Jesus would say. They are in the family. Because they're your brother or sister in Christ, Jesus says, I am commanding you to move towards reconciliation. And what does this do? Not only is it transformational for you and for the person that you're in relationship with, Jesus points to the world outside of the church and he says, listen, this is transformational for them. They will know you are my disciples. Why? Because of that quality of love that draws you to pursue relationship with whom you are not related by blood. You don't work with them. You don't share common interests with them. They're simply part of your new family of God. And you're going to pursue relationship with them in this way. The world would say to that, they would say, why? Nobody does that. Who does? Nobody pursues relationship when it's difficult. Here's what the world says. Walk away. Walk away from that type of, you experience conflict with somebody and they're not essential to your life. You don't, they're not that important. They're not that meaningful to you. Just walk away, burn it. Let the bridges burn behind you and don't ever go back. The world understands that. And unfortunately the church has modeled that same type of love. Can I tell you what a travesty that is? What a travesty when somebody leaves a church and they're angry or they're upset and they choose not to try to reconcile, but instead they just say, you know what, I can live without them. It's easier without them. That is a complete disgrace to the cross of Christ and to his church. Because what it says is the cross and the reconciliation that Jesus has accomplished through the, through his work, his atoning work, it's not enough for me to walk across the aisle to bridge that relationship. I would rather just do without them. I can serve Jesus without that person. And I don't want to over-dramatize it, but can I say that as a slap in the face of Jesus Christ? That is a disgrace to his church. 
That doesn't mean that everybody has to be totally rosy and peaceful together. It just means, can you and I, shouldn't you and I, make every effort, as Scripture says, to keep the bond of peace within the body because that brings glory to Christ? And I would say, yes, brother or sister in Christ, yes and amen. You do not have the right or the privilege or the opportunity to walk away from a relationship, a broken relationship where there's conflict in the body of Christ and simply say, that's okay, I just don't need it. It's not an option. Jesus didn't give that option. The New Testament writers didn't give that option. They said, you and I are commanded to love one another sacrificially. And as much as it depends on us, keep that bond of peace and don't let anyone or anything break it. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we are with the best of friends with everybody in the body of Christ. That's not what that's pointing to. What that's saying is, do not let conflict be, have the final word that says, I can live without you or I can do without you. No, any time that you have conflict with another follower of Jesus, as much as it depends on you with everything and every bit of effort you have, you should bring it to the point where you say, we may be in conflict and we don't see it the way, uh, same, same way, but I love you and I need you in the body and you're an important part of his body and so I value you. And I may not choose to be in everyday relationship with you, but I have kept the bond of peace between us so that Christ can be glorified. Now, this is, I'm emphatic about this because I'm convinced this is at the core of scripture and the church has much ob, so much obligation around this to continue to glorify Jesus by this type of love and demonstrate that we're his disciples. So we don't want to be people who conflict comes, we pick another church. Conflict comes, we just leave the small group. No, we want to be people who have the hard discussion, not because we're going to agree on everything, but because we recognize that when we do hard things, we are discipling. We're in discipleship and we're living it out. And that's the last thing I want to point to. Your faith, and, and please hear this, and, and this with great emphasis, your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you, but it's your relationship in the church that disciples you. Now, I'm sure I'll get some pushback on this. I have heard over the course of my lifetime within the church and as a pastor, I've heard multiple times from people say, listen, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I, I, going to church doesn't make me a Christian. And I would say, you're absolutely right. You're correct if that's your statement. Uh, only faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. It is a work of grace. It is not anything by your own effort. You are saved by grace in Jesus Christ alone. But if you show me a Christian that is not in some type of consistent, devoted fellowship with others, I will without a doubt show you an immature follower of Jesus who is not discipled well. It, it, so yes, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you do have to go to church to be a disciple, one who's continuing to follow, out, follow after Jesus. So committing to Christ and making a profession of faith in Christ, that's what saves you. But being in relationship with others in his body is what disciples you. So if you're saying I'm saved apart from any type of relationship with others, I would say, yes, you are saved apart from relationship. But I would say, you haven't grown very much in your relationship with Christ if you aren't in relationship to others. Now, you might say, or others could say, well, how do you know? You don't know me. But let me point to this. 
is that the reason I would know that you're uh, not, you haven't been discipled well and you're not mature in Christ is because in order to do what Jesus and other New Testament writers instructed us to do as disciples, we must be in community. We must. There, there's no way. So when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another, how are you going to love others if you're not in relationship with others? He's not telling them to love your family. He's saying, love one another, those who are also discipling with me. We have to be doing life together in order to do what he asks us to do. Likewise, when scripture tells us, forgive one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven us, why do you need to forgive others if you're not in relationship with them? It requires being in community if you're going to learn to, to disciple as to how to be good at forgiving. Caring for one another. How are you going to care for others if you're not in relationship with people? Can you be saved without the church? Yes. Can you disciple and grow without the church? No. And when I say the church, I don't mean you have to come to New Horizons. I, I don't mean that it has to be in a building every Sunday. It means you have to be in a regular, consistent relationship, vulnerable relationship with others in the body of Christ. That might be with a small group. It, it might be just an ongoing group of five other people. But I would say it needs to be outside of your immediate family because what the uh, Jesus is instructing this command and what the early church was talking about wasn't just loving your family. It was about loving the family of God. It was about being in relationship to, to uh, more people than just my immediate circle with whom I find comfort. All of this, it's challenging, but this is what we're going to be talking about, life together. This is what it means when we live life together. It means we are discipling. And this is what's challenging is that when we start to live life together, boy, we sure learn how to forgive. <laughs> we sure learn what it means to not hold grievances and holding things against one another. It means that we learn to be patient and long-suffering with one another. All of these things happen when we follow Jesus's command, love one another as he has loved us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, boy, this is so challenging. This is, this is a, a, big, a big discipling point for us. I know it is for me, Lord, that um, it's easier to write people off. It's easier to be the person who walks away than the one who stays and tries to reconcile. It's easier to be the one who just disappears and doesn't bring up the hard conversation or just avoids people. Lord, that's the easy way out. It's not the discipling way. So I pray, Father, that you would help us, empower us. Jesus, thank you for showing us the way of love, for modeling it, and also for releasing us to live it out. Holy Spirit, thank you for empowering us this isn't stuff that we just do naturally. It requires supernatural power. Enable us to do it as we walk more deeply in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 
Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.